Hey everyone, I wanted to welcome you to Encounter Church. I'm Pastor Craig Rice. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Enjoy. Um, I just know God's got something great for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe God can do something great in your life today? Um, and, and we're in this series called Unstoppable. And if you did not get a chance to get to the first one, I would recommend you get online and look that up. We talked about being a witness. And I, I think I, I was talking to Pastor Jesse in between services today, and I said, the, you know, we're having, you know, these what, what some would call revivals breaking out through all of, uh, through the states. Has anybody, anybody paying attention to any of that? Like, it just seems like there's been these things. It's exciting. It's beautiful. Um, but at the same time, there's individuals that are just going to um, just see what it is, but not be a participant. And the danger of outpourings like that is that uh, individuals, they just want to see it. They don't actually want to be a part of it. And I think that the church should not just be observers, but we should be participators of a revival. We should be participators of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And what happens is we become reporters and not witnesses. A reporter is on the outside just reporting of what's going on, but a witness is actually there. They have the experience. They know this I have handled, this I have seen, this I have experienced. A reporter is just talking about what they've seen and what's going on, where a witness is this is what I have felt. And so I don't believe that we are called to be spiritual reporters. We are called to be spiritual witnesses. And that is what we worked on last week. So this week we're, we're going a little deeper. We're in a series called Unstoppable where we are going through the book of Acts. I love Acts. And it is titled Acts of the Apostles. It is the movement of the apostles. It's what they did. It was the, the miracles that they, they saw and, and helped perform. It was moments of outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was great revival, great persecution, and just the absolute explosion of the church. And you and I are sitting here today because there were some men and some women who gave their lives to make sure that this happened. They gave their all for it. And I am thankful that we are standing here, not because of anything we've done, or anything we've earned, but we are standing here because there were some witnesses that were willing to lay down their life so that a church can thrive because the church, Jesus said, is, come on, unstoppable. All right. So with us going to a series in the book of Acts, I thought we would take our series text um, from Matthew. That's just what we do. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. It will be on the screen behind me. Uh, and it says it this way, Jesus speaking to his disciples, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you, everybody say me. That's what he said. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I want to just talk about unstoppable boldness today unstoppable boldness. Father, I thank you for the moments we have shared, the power of the Holy Spirit that is absolutely evident and tangible in this room today. Father, I pray that our lives would be completely changed and altered and that we would see outpourings and revival right here, right now with us. We're ready for it. In Jesus' name, someone said amen. amen. And someone said, my mind is open. 
My heart is ready. I receive it. I believe it. Do it, Jesus. The question we've been asking through this series is what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object? One would, one would say that's, there's, it's impossible when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. It's, it's, a, it's a bomb. It's an explosion. There, there's no way this is possible. However, I would like to say this, that many times we have categorized things as immovable that are actually movable. The pain, suffering, the sickness, the political problems, whatever you may want to categorize, put in a box that's immovable, the marriage problem, the finances, the job, the kids, and the list goes on and on and on. We put it in there as immovable, and really, they are movable things. And there is something that God wants to empower us through this series to remind us that even if we think it's immovable, He has empowered us to be unstoppable. And the unstoppable force that God has created within us can and will move the things that seem immovable. Jesus said, faith the size of a mustard seed can speak to the mountain and it will be removed. A mountain to me is immovable. But Jesus, in this kingdom, it's movable. Why? Because there's something about a kingdom that is absolutely infused with an unstoppable force. Now, church, when we talk about church, we're not talking about four walls, a roof, a parking lot, a nonprofit. We're not talking about an event. We're not talking about any of that. We are talking about people. We're talking about you and me. We are the church. The church is not a place to go. It is a people to become. That's what church is. It's us. It's you. It's me. It's us together. And so when we look in the book of Acts, we're going to be going through chapters 4, 5, and 6 today. When we look through these chapters, we see that there was an unstoppable force that got on the inside of the early church. The book of Acts is the beginning of the early church. It was the birth of it. And we find in chapter 1, like we worked on last week, Jesus has died. He has given his last words to his disciples, go be witnesses everywhere. And then he gets into uh, the, the directions of what they need to do. Go wait in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's going to come. It's a comforter. And then Judas goes out and hangs himself. Like this is how the book starts. This is really encouraging, right? Just really on point encouraging. And, and the disciples now have lost one of their close ones. It's devastating. But then we see, like we talked about last week, the witness of the power of the disciples that had been with Jesus are now going and taking the ethos, the culture, of what they had seen and been with Jesus. And now they are also demonstrating what they had learned, what they had seen, and what they had handled. And so Peter and John are going to the temple. They see a lame man. He's begging for money. And they say, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I do have, give I unto thee in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. They go into the temple praising, shouting, amazing, amazing story. But that story ended up having consequences because religion wants explanation while kingdom wants demonstration. Religious individuals and religious uh, organizations, they want explanation. And that's maybe why uh, there is such a, a highlight on the outpourings of the Holy Spirit in America right now is people want explanation. How did this happen? Why did this happen? And sometimes I think that we believe that God spins the globe and puts his finger on a place. Have you ever done that as a kid? This is where we're going to go. And I always end up like Antarctica or somewhere penguins live and thrive. And I do it again. And sometimes I think that we think that that's how God does with revival. 
That he spins the globe, points his finger at some place, and that's where some Holy Spirit outpouring happens. Can I, I just want to bust that myth today. That myth is, is so unfounded and untrue. Revival happens, outpouring happens, because people are hungry for the presence and the move of God. It is not because God suddenly rolls the dice, spins the globe, points his finger, and suddenly it lands in small places or, or colleges or high schools. No, no. It's because those people had something that others have longed for. There was a hunger, a desire, an anticipation for more of God. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 16, and I give you the keys to the kingdom. Oftentimes we want him to unlock it. We want him to do it. God send revival. Anybody ever prayed that way? God send an outpouring. And I, I, I want to help our church today. I want to help you realize today that Jesus did not say that he had all the keys. He said that he was handing those off to us. You have the keys. So the key to outpouring, the key to revival is not found by us just saying, God, bring revival. The key is found when we get hungry enough to seek his face, to pursue his presence, to be involved and not just a fly on the wall, but an active participator in the move of God. It's unstoppable. Once you realize that, it's unstoppable. And so some of the early church's characteristics, these are unstoppable characteristics. They had undeterred unity. Unity is powerful for good or for bad. The Tower of Babel, not a good idea. But unity helped build that. The Bible said they all spoke the same language. But unity also helps... Like in the upper room, when the disciples are praying together, they were all in one mind and one accord. There was unity. They were undeterred by offense. They were undeterred by small thinking. They were undeterred by indifferences. They were undeterred by, by, by little skiffs and schisms. They were undeterred by any of that. They had undeterred unity. And I think if we want the ethos of the early church, we've got to get back to having undeterred unity. That we refuse to allow any smallness, any, any, any idiosyncrasy, any, any, any small-mindedness, any offense, any hardship to divide. Because the enemy knows that if he can offend and if he can divide, then he has conquered. If he can strike the shepherd, the sheep scatter. And the reality is today is that we need to be a church, a place, have an ethos that we, are we have undeterred unity. We have a common cause, common mission, and a common purpose. They had unprecedented generosity. In chapter 4, we find that there was a guy named Barnabas, and Barnabas was the son of encouragement. And Barnabas decided one day, hey, I'm going to sell my field. And the field that I have, I'm going to give everything to the start of the early church. I'm going to make sure that everything's paid for, taken care of, and it sparked unprecedented generosity. Why? Because there was a fire, there was a little flame in Barnabas that other people were like, I want that. And then there was two people by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira were like, that guy's doing awesome. He's getting some pats on the back. Like, this is, this, I want to do what he did. So then they tell Peter, hey, we're going to sell the land, all of our land, and we're going to give everything to the church. But secretly, they knew that they were going to keep some of it for themselves. And what happens is when they bring the money, 
they're asked, is this all of it? Oh yes, it's all of it while they're secretly keeping. And the Bible says God struck them down and they carried them out of church dead. That's a service that you may not want to go to. That's a rough day in the house of God. And it wasn't that they were not generous. It was that they had a lying spirit. They had a spirit that was anti-culture, was anti-ethos of what God was doing. They could have said, we'll give 10% and God would have blessed them. They could have said, we'll give two bucks and God would have blessed them. But instead, they wanted the accolades and the approval of people more than they had a love for the house of God and the obedience to have a truthful mouth. But it sparked. And one would say that would just like, if, if we, Steve, if we carry two people out dead, like, I don't know if anybody's going to show up next week. But guess what it did in the early church? It sparked a revival of generosity that people realized God honors this. And people began to sell everything, bring it all in, and God did some amazing things. One of the other unstoppable characteristics we read through the book of Acts is that they had unparalleled miracles. These miracles were happening left and right. In fact, the Bible says the, the, the disciples sat at Solomon's colonnade and people came, the blind, the lame, the beggar, they all came and God did something amazing in their life. Unparalleled miracles happen in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, there is, there is unimaginable persecution. I'm talking about unstoppable characteristics. One would not put unimaginable persecution on the top of their to-do list. That's not my goal in life, to have unimaginable persecution. However, what started an outpouring and what started revival in the early church was unimaginable persecution. Because they realized that they were doing something right and they were pushing buttons and allowing the Spirit of God to move and it was causing chaos and havoc. In fact, one place, Peter and, and, and John's like, we're not listening to what man's law is because man's law was this. Not that they did not honor and respect what man was doing. I want you to hear me correctly. What they were told to do is you can no longer preach the name of Jesus. To which they responded, we will not listen to you and we will do what God has asked us to do. So anytime there is a stoppage, there is a, a blockage of saying, hey, don't talk about Jesus. That's when the church needs to rise to her feet and say, we will do everything in our power to keep preaching this message. We got, we got trolled this last week on, on, Insta, on Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. You know you're doing something right when the trolls come out. And, uh, and they, they, they hit us and they said, I, I don't know how you're worshiping your sky wizard and he killed everybody and yada, yada, yada. I want to remind you today that I'm not serving a sky wizard. I'm not serving a God that, that, in our opinion, killed everybody. I'm serving a God who laid down his only son's life. I'm serving a God that went through the extreme so that humankind can find repentance and hope in Him. I'm serving a God that, that, that the disciples and the apostles in the early days laid down their life, their family, their money, their heritage, their homes so that they could see this gospel. Pre Why did they believe in this? Because they were not just reporters, they were witnesses and they were emboldened and empowered because of what they had experienced it was, not, it was not that they needed explanations. They didn't even have explanations. They just said, this same Jesus whom you crucified is made both Lord and Christ. This Jesus has done this. And what they were doing is they were saying, this is a witness. And it emboldened them to get through the persecution. 
They had unbridled boldness. Unbridled boldness. And I think sometimes we pray for boldness. Boldness is not automatic. You do not wake up and suddenly you're bold. Have you ever met a bold person? Bold people have gone through unimaginable persecution. Bold people have gone through pain. They have gone through suffering. They have gone through problems. They have dealt with issues. Unbridled boldness does not suddenly come through osmosis or because you woke up or you read the right Bible verse. Unbridled boldness happens when you've gone through some things and realize I've come out on the other side, not by might nor by power, but by the Holy Spirit. So I want to I give you keys today. Is that all right? I want to give you keys to unlock unstoppable boldness. And my first key is this, is that we need to learn how to activate kingdom fragrance. Activate kingdom fragrance. Every kingdom has a king. That's what makes it a kingdom. All right, this, we're good, right? Everybody's good. Every, king, every kingdom has a king. And what happens is we end up having our own kingdoms that have their own kings. Work can be a kingdom, home can be a kingdom, school can be a kingdom. And what happens is we start enthroning kings on kingdoms that really are fading away. So every kingdom has a king. It's just finding the right king with the right kingdom. And if you want to activate kingdom fragrance, it's going to start by just being with Jesus. Because he's the right king. Your spouse is not the king. Uh, your money is not the king. Your kid is not the king. Your boss is not the king. Your neighbor's not the king. Come on, that lawyer's not the king. The doctor's not the king. Your diagnosis is not the king. That's not the king. There is, only, there is a king, and his name is Jesus, and we've already been revealed in Scripture. He's not a sky wizard. He's a king. I just want to reveal that to you today. He's a king. And if, we, if we're going to activate kingdom fragrance, it begins by being with Jesus. Acts 4 and 8 says it like this. Now, the disciples have just seen this man healed that we talked about last week. He has gone through the gate. They're worshiping in the temple, and it messes with some people's minds. And the Bible says this, that after Peter and John are now brought before the high priest, they're brought before Caiaphas, and, uh, and, and, and they're being questioned. We want explanations. And this is what Peter says. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, we are being questioned today because we have done a good deed for a crippled man. Ever feel questioned for doing good deeds? You're on trial for something. And he said, do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene the man you crucified by whom God raised from the dead for Jesus is the one referred to in the scripture where it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone there is salvation in no other God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved and the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in Scripture. The Greek says they were idiots. True story. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. I was watching the Super Bowl last week with some friends, and 
commercial came on, and uh, I, you can ask them. I looked over, I was like, is, is this true? Downey has come out with a fragrance called Unstoppables. So I went to the store and I bought it, and I would not highly recommend it because it's very expensive. It's still unopened. I may still return this. <laughs> I, I almost opened it just so you could smell it. And I'm like, no. I, they get the illustration. I can return it and get my $8 back for this. 285 grams, 10 ounces. All right. And, and I started looking at what Downey Unstoppables, what they push. Downey Unstoppables is not an odor uh, reliever. It's not something that gets in the clothes and removes the odor. Down, that's something else called Shout and other laundry products that um, I'm not involved with. Uh, <laughs> you're judging me. Stop it. But what they did create was not an odor re- remover. What they created was a scent booster. And you take this and you put it in your laundry and they are promising you right here on their bottle. I find it interesting it's right where you remove it. So I don't know what that's about. But right there on the bottle, it's 12 weeks of freshness. What they're saying is your stanky jeans that you've been wearing without washing for three weeks. If you wash them in Downey's Unstoppable, it will still smell like this fragrance 12 weeks later. What it's saying is that you can put your dirty work shirt in the laundry and if you wash it with this, that if you wear that to work, it will have 12 weeks of freshness and downy smell in your life. And I got to thinking about this. There is, while that may, I don't know if it's true or not. We haven't tried it. I don't know if I want to spend the money on trying it. But what I've seen in Scripture is this, is that we have the same thing in Jesus. There is a promise of His fragrance that can be unlocked and activated in our life. And, it's, and it's, what happens is we try to wash our stanky jeans. We try to get rid of the stink and the stench of our life and the mess in our marriage and the, the rough patches in our own minds and the horrible things that we've gone through. And we want to wash them uh, by, by new ideas or going to the gym or, 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 or playing a video game or, or drowning it in alcohol or whatever we want to do. We want to take it and we want to wash it in something that does not have the guarantee of creating freshness in your life. There is only one thing like a Downey Unstoppable and His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And if you want to activate kingdom fragrance today, it begins by being like the disciples where these people knew, not by their words, not by how they presented themselves, but by who they had been with. Have you ever had men, your clothes lay next to your wife's clothes and you pick up that Carhartt shirt and it smells like Chanel number five? Like, this isn't my smell. I get curved from Walmart. Do they still make that? That was high school. Old Spice, somebody said. Get, Get out of here. It's not in this church. Axe. Oh, thank you. All right, we're good. 
I know what I'm bringing in two weeks. All right. Um, and we have this, this, this thing. We pick it up. Why? Because our clothes was laying next to her clothes. And the fragrance that was on her clothes is now on our clothes. I didn't spray Chanel number no. 5 on my clothes. But she did. And it was in the same drawer. And it was next to hers. And because it was next to hers, now suddenly I smell it. Do you see what I'm saying today? I can tell when individuals get around other stanky attitude people because of how they smell and how they act. I can tell when other people are, who you're around, who you're associating, and who you're by. By your language, by your conversations, by what you're talking about, what you're doing. And you can get their stank on you. And you may like, I just washed these. No, no, but you've been around stanky people and now you stank. And the same way it is, I can tell a spirit-filled child of God by who they're hanging out with because the fragrance that gets on their life is by the people that they associate with and the places they are and the prayer time that they spent and the passionate worship they were involved in. I can tell because of the fragrance of the name of Jesus that's on their life. There's something different about people that have been around Jesus versus being around the world. There's something different about people that are willing to wash themselves in prayer and worship in the unstoppable name that is above every name, that at every knee will bow, every tongue confess. It's the name of Jesus. Someone say Jesus. Alexander McLaren said a soul habitually in contact with Jesus, will embed sweetness from Him. Just as garments laid away in a drawer with some perfume absorb fragrance from that beside which they lie. Oh, I want to be so close to Jesus that everything about me reeks of Him. That my words drip with honey from His words. That my hands and my feet are empowered and emboldened because that's what he was empowered and emboldened with. I want my heart to be so consumed with hurting for the lost and beating for revival that it consumes my ever waking moment. I want the fragrance of the kingdom to be activated in my life like never before. I'm giving us a key today, church. Encounter, I'm giving us a key this morning that we can unlock the kingdom of God in our life, in this region, in this area. Why? Because there's somebody that wants to stand up and say, I want a new fragrance in my life this year. I want the fragrance of Jesus. I want the fragrance of Jesus. Well, how do we do this? How do we, how do we get this? We start talking the way he talks. and The Bible reveals that, that our language, our words are so important. They have the power of life and death. And then we start looking at, at this concept that John reveals that Jesus was the Word. John 1 begins, the Gospel of John begins, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Same was in the beginning with God. And the reality of of, of that text is that there is a Word that we can get a hold of. And our words can betray us. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, you have the power to forbid or permit, to bind or to loose. What happen, how's that power? It's with your words. It's with your words. My fourth grade year, I uh, showed up to open house for school. Christian school, by the way. Our own church school, by the way. And I showed up to fourth grade and the teacher looked at me. She goes, oh boy, I just want to let you know I hate boys and I hate preacher kids. I was both. 
I didn't have a very good fourth grade year. Spent the whole year on timeout for no reason, just because I had, I was a preacher's kid and I was a male. Fifth grade happened. Go into fifth grade and there was a lady by the name of Maxine Thornton. Maxine Thornton had just recovered from cancer. Just been healed from cancer. And she got into fifth grade classroom. And I had words spoken over my life in fourth grade. They were very detrimental. But I get into fifth grade and Maxine Thornton begins her class every day with Bible. And she had us stand up and we would quote, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Not anything that was made was without Him. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light, that all men who might believe. And the reality begins to sink in day after day after day. And Maxine Thornton would make sure that we would not leave Bible class without encountering the presence of God. And she'd get us on our knees, and we'd pray, and we'd worship, and we'd sing, and we'd get a hold of God. And sometimes service, or not service, it seemed like service at times, but sometimes class would just flow into the next class, and sometimes recess wouldn't happen because there was some fifth graders that just wanted the presence of God in their life. But it began every day by, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him. And every day we remembered there was a better word than the words we had spoken. Every day, there was a power of a Logos that was imparted into our lives as fifth graders. And I'll never forget Maxine Thornton after after delivering a research paper, paper on Benjamin Harrison. If you don't know who Benjamin Harrison is, he was a president sandwiched between Grover Cleveland. You have all the information that really you need. Research paper that I dug deep in, I was passionate about, and I got in front of the class, and I delivered this, this, this researcher paper in fifth grade, and Maxine Thornton called me aside after class, Craig, I want to see you, and instantly the PTSD and the trauma kicks in. Here we go again. I'm a boy, I'm a preacher's kid, I'm, I'm done for, I'm on timeout. She pulled me beside her desk, she goes, Craig, I see something in you that I don't see in anybody else. She goes, maybe God has his hand on you, and maybe you'll be a preacher one day. I'm, what I'm saying is this, and I give, I give so much honor to that lady. What I say is this, is that there are words that will bind and there are words that will loose. And often... Oftentimes we will bind ourselves by saying we're so tired, we're so sick, we're so down, we're so depressed, we're so defeated, and we're binding ourselves. And God's like, no, I gave you the keys to bind and loose, and today I'm giving your permission to go ahead and loose the anxiety off your life, loose the depression off your life, loose the hardship off your life, loose that offense off your life. To take the key that God's given you. The words that you speak are powerful. And it is part of the fragrance that God has given us to use our mouth. The defining characteristic of these disciples that used their mouth in the beginning. This same Jesus, whom you crucified, healed this man. The fragrance that was on their life started smelling like boldness. They were emboldened because they had been with Jesus. Their words were bold because they had been with Jesus. There's power in our words. You create as you communicate. You're creating 
as you communicate. And it's not that you're speaking things necessarily into existence as much as you are speaking them into agreement. You're saying things that God has already said. You're saying things that God is already agreeing to. And the thing happens and it becomes an existence. And it becomes a demonstration when we say the things God says. Because it's in alignment and agreement with what the Logos, the Word, from the very beginning has already said. And His Word over your life and my life is that we are unstoppable. We are to be a church of revival. We're to be a culture of hope. We're to be a a force to be reckoned with. An outpouring of God, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not just because Jesus rolls a globe and points his finger. It's because people get the ethos of an unstoppable church and say, we want this and we want to smell like him. We'll do everything we can to be with Jesus. And revival has a cost. Outpourings have cost. And I think the thing that stops us from this is because we have put time restraints on God. I've got jobs, I've got kids, they've got sports. And we've created these modern conveniences that are actually putting up gates and barriers and stopping the move of the Holy Spirit. God isn't stopping His outpouring of His Spirit. In the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. That is a Logos word. Come on, somebody. My word will never fall away. Heaven and earth will burn up, but my word will endure forever. It's it's eternal. And I think that oftentimes we believe that our words just are for here and now. Your words are eternal because you're eternal. You have the power to change your life. You have the power to change the city. You have the power to change your neighborhood. Young people, you have the power to change your school. Do you know where these revivals are starting? In colleges and high schools. Come on, if you're under 25, would you wave your hand at me? If you're under 25, would you wave your hand? Look at the. You're not, I know that. (laughs) Under 25. Beautiful. Let me tell you, God is pouring out His Spirit on your generation to awaken my generation. The things... The things we've dreamed about. The things we have longed for. And I've been taken back this week, back to Maxine Thornton's fifth grade class, where we would stop everything just to allow the Spirit of God to fall on us. We would get to math. We would get to English. We would get to our writing assignments. We would get to penmanship. They had that back then. We would get back to those things. But first things first, let's encounter God. Let's let His kingdom be established. And from fifth grade, there was a hunger and a fire that burns. I want to get back to letting control go and letting God have His way. Eleven, I, I overpromise that I'm under-delivering. I have two more points, and I'm not going to get to them. I'm glad you have faith. We've got to unlock our capacity. We've got to unlock our capacity. That's the second key. We, we have so much capacity. You know, I mean, we, really, we have so much capacity. Have you ever looked at somebody... The job, family, co-work, whatever. And you've looked at them and you're like, they have so much capacity and yet they're not living to their full potential. So much capacity. 
And I think oftentimes we have so much capacity for outpouring, so much capacity for revival, so much capacity for city changing, so much capacity for, for outpouring, so much capacity. And yet we're only using 10% of our capacity. Because our capacity, the 10% is what I can control. The other 90 is what I have to release control of. And I believe that outpourings and revival happens in the 90%, not the 10%. Because we want to control it by an hour and 15 minutes. We want to control it by three worship songs, a, a nice message, uh, prayer partners, fresh starts, and we're out the door. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that's wrong. We do that around here. and We believe in that, that principle and that method. It works. However, there are times and places where we need to tap into the complete capacity of the ethos of the early church and let go of control and let God take the wheel for the 90%. He's given us the 10, let's let him have the 90. So why, why does revival tarry? Why does, why does outpouring cease? Why do, why do churches not experience these, these demonstrations? Two reasons, I'm glad you asked. I think the reason why we don't step into the fullness of the kingdom is because, number one, we're not willing to give up control. And number two, we don't allow God to take us through the necessary pain to become our best selves. Because the early church experienced it. Unimaginable persecution. And it was their pain that created revival. It was what we would call the pathos. The pathos is passion, or in the Greek, it's suffering. It is what creates the passionate drive of the ethos. It's the emotional side of the logos and the ethos. And the pathos is that, is that suffering moment where it begins to stir passion. One of our core values is that passion is our pursuit. And the struggle, the struggle that you're in is actually what is going to set you free. The struggle that you're in is actually what's going to create revival. The struggle that you're in is actually what's going to pre let an outpouring of the Holy Spirit happen. It takes the caterpillar struggling through the cocoon so that it can spread its butterfly wings and fly away. It's the bullfrogs and butterflies. And an old song said they've both been born again. Some of you are not old enough for that. But it's unlocking your capacity. Three, I hit my third point. Mike, we're good. And we're going to close strong. Three, you want to unlock this. You want to see this boldness. We need to return to revival. Return to revival. Revival is probably the most misunderstood and overused word in the Christian language. Because we think that revival is an event, a thing. We think that it's mass people coming in and worshiping. That's not revival. Revival is a lifestyle and it happens every day. Outpourings are what we're seeing. But revival is a lifestyle. And it begins by saying, God, I want my mind renewed every day. Revive my spirit. Revive my heart. Revival does not begin corporately until it has been impacted personally revival has to begin here before it can ever 
spread out there. Revival is in every one of us. The ability to tap in and have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life is within you. Jesus did, he said this, he said the kingdom is not for next, it's for now. It's the kingdom, as he said oftentimes, is within you. This kingdom is within you. It's just putting the king back on the throne. It's getting rid of all the other things. You want this boldness? You want the, this fragrance of being with Jesus on your life? Then it causes us to return to revival. And the disciples knew as they preached, they would have unimaginable persecution. And yet they maintained that Jesus is always going to be our message. In Acts chapter 5, we don't, we, won't, we don't have time to pull it on the screen, but I want to remind Acts chapter 5, they rejoiced, the Bible says, because of the suffering that they endured for Jesus. And they decided to preach everywhere, every day, from house to house, that Jesus is the Messiah. That's why our first core value here at Encounter is Jesus is our message. We'll never get rid of that. That is the chief cornerstone of what this church is built on, is that Jesus is our message because at his name, things happen. I believe that revival is going to start stirring in our lives when we start saying the name, the logos, the word, the name of Jesus over our marriage, over our kids, over our finances, over our jobs, over our sickness, over our problems, over our diseases. When we start saying in the name of Jesus, when we start evaluating what we're saying and elevating what we're saying, then we're going to start making sure that every court date has Jesus on it, that every doctor's visit has Jesus on it, that every counseling session has Jesus on it, that every dinner has Jesus on it, that every time I show up to work has Jesus on it. Let's get back to saying his name. Let's get back to being proud to serve not a sky wizard, but a name that's above every name. A name that is exalted above the heavens. A name that is everlasting from generation to generation. And at the name of Jesus. Who healed this man? Jesus. Who set him free? Jesus. Come on, some of us need to be reminded you're here today free not because some psychologist gave you the right keys but because the kingdom gave you the right keys and it was found in the name of Jesus. Some of you are sitting here years free of addiction and it wasn't because you went through a 12-step program or an AA meeting. It was because Jesus got a hold of your life and now you have a fragrance on you that other people wish they had. Some of you are sitting here today, you should have been divorced, but you're here and there's a fragrance on your marriage because Jesus got central to what you were doing. Some of you should be dead, babe, you should have been dead, but because of Jesus, there is something that gives life and power and strength and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you also. We want revival. We want outpouring. It begins with His name. Let's pull up the last screen. Band come. Play me out of here. If we want revival, we want to return to revival. It's going to start by a renewed love and zeal for God's house. 
I commended Pastor Brevin in the 9 o'clock. I'll shout him out again today. He worked all night serving the city of Coeur d'Alene. All night. And he made sure that he was here to experience this today. No sleep. No sleep. He just decided, I have a love and a zeal for the house of God. And Andrew and I were talking about this. What makes that happen? It's not anything I can teach. It's something that has to be caught. And it's a renewed love. And I'm praying this year that there would be a renewed love for the house of God. A renewed love for the house of God over temporary things. Over convenient things. Over things that just get into our life. The house of God needs to be a priority. It needs to be part of our ethos. It needs to be what we love to do and where we love to go. The house of God needs to have a zeal and a love behind it. I love this place. This is the place where God has done amazing things. I want a renewed love and a zeal for the house of God. There is nothing in this world more important on a Sunday morning than being right here. There's not a football game. There's not a baseball game. There's not an event. There's not a concert. There's not a job. Hear me, I'm, I'm, I'm pastoring right now because I want to get the ethos and the pathos to get connected to the logos today. There's nothing more important than being right here in God's house because that's where the fragrance comes from. Just being with Jesus. Revival happens. Returning to revival begins with authentic repentance. Evan Roberts began a great revival in in Welsh in the early 90s. 1900s, not 90s. That's another story. In the early 1900s, this was his prayer. Lord, do it again. Do it again. And Evan Roberts said it like this. No repentance, no revival. Repentance has become an ugly word in Christendom because it's it's gotten this shame. And I tell you, repentance is one of the most beautiful things we can do because repentance is simply a turning around. A repentance is an opening and allowing His righteousness to infuse us. The Bible says this, that the fullness of the Godhead bodily is found in Jesus. And then it says that we're risen to Christ. And as we've been risen, we so put on Christ. And if the fullness of God is found in Jesus, then the fullness of Jesus is also found in us. You're carrying a name that's above every name. You are already attached to eternal revival. You are already connected to eternal outpourings. It is just us unlocking the door. It's not waiting on Jesus to do it. It's waiting. Heaven is waiting on us to unlock it. It's here. It's now. It's for us. If not us, then who? If not when, then where? What? Where is this? It's continually seeking God's face. It's passionate worship, and it's a hunger for the Word. Take a picture of that, or I can send you the slides sometime. Will you stand with me all over the room?
Chickens were created to fly. I know in North Idaho, they don't. You have them pinned up. But chickens were created to fly, designed with wings. But chickens became domesticated over time. And now chickens don't fly. So why don't chickens fly? Why don't chickens fly? I'm not asking you why they cross the road. I'm just asking you why they don't fly. They don't fly because we have removed the threat of a predator out of their life. No need to fly away from a predator when there is no predator. And we have spoon-fed them. Chickens don't fly because the threat of a predator is gone and they're being spoon-fed. And I just wonder if the reason why Christians don't fly is because we want the predator to be removed and we want to be spoon-fed. Maybe God is wanting you to soar again, to not just keep pecking in a garden, not just to be spoon-fed all the time, to get domesticated, but to be alive in the wild. And I believe today that God is wanting to clip those wings and let you go today, to set you free from the cages you have found yourself in, because once you begin to fly, you are unstoppable. When you begin to take flight and begin to soar above all of that, I know you're facing adversity right now. I know you're facing spiritual problems right now. I know you're dealing with issues right now. But that is the ability to keep you in flight. It's not to keep you grounded. It's to get you off the ground so you can soar above all the rest. I'm calling a church to take flight again spiritually. To pick up your wings and start flapping and go to heights that you have never even thought or could imagine reaching. It's time to grow. It's time to take ground. It's time to advance the kingdom and it's time to have unstoppable revival. The Holy Spirit spoke to me this week. I was praying about this. The Holy Spirit said like this, don't miss this. I, just, I was just praying, God, I want revival. I want to see the outpouring here. I want to be a conduit of it. And he just simply spoke. Don't miss this. So I just want to talk to our church and let you know what the Holy Spirit said. Don't miss this. You're not a spectator. You're a participator. You weren't called just to be butts in seats. You were called to be on the field taking action. So God, raise an army. Raise worshipers. Embolden your people again. I pray today, do it again, God. And Isaiah 6 dropped in my spirit today. And I'm just praying an Isaiah 6 revival in our church. And Isaiah 6 says this, It was in that year that King Uzziah died, and I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Mighty seraphim, six wings, two covering their face, two covering their feet. They flew, and they called out to each other, Holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundation and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. One of the angels flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar and with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. And I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. I just wonder if there's anybody in this house. Those would be your prayers. Do it again, God. Here am I, send me. I don't want to be a spectator. I don't want to be a reporter. I want to be a bold witness today. House lights, would you come down? This is what I want to do. I want us to bow our heads. I'm going to, we're just going to corporately repent today. Revival begins with repentance. It's not a bad word. It's a great word. It's a life-changing word today. Would you pray this with me? You're like, Pastor, I haven't done anything wrong. No, no, you're, you're breathing. We have, we got to get back to Repentance. Repentance is not shame. Repentance is liberty. It's the wind beneath the wings today. So in your own words, or if you don't even know how to do this, let me pray with you today. But would you follow something along this line? Father, I am sorry. I repent today. I ask that you would search me and know me. Create in me a clean heart and renew in me a right spirit. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. That you would wash me in your blood today. Make me a right standing with you. Forgive me for carelessly speaking powerful words. Forgive me for saying things that have hurt people. Forgive me for harboring things that have hurt me. Forgive me for keeping cages up and walls up that has prevented the move of the Spirit in my life. Forgive me today for being more consumed with my life than I am about the kingdom. Forgive me today and make me new. I receive your forgiveness. And I believe that what I have just confessed, what I have just said, you are faithful and just to forgive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow Jesus to transform your soul. We pray that you have an amazing week. Thanks again for being a part of the Encounter Church family. God bless you.